This episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid is brought to you by Bausch & Lomb. Offering a range of eye health solutions, including contact lenses and lens care products, pharmaceuticals, intraocular lenses, and surgical devices and instruments dedicated to helping patients see better to live better. For more information, visit Bausch.com. Open, outspoken, it's Ophthalmology Off the Grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. The corneal cross-linking landscape can be tough to navigate. In this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, Dr. Bill Trowler sheds some light on some key aspects of corneal cross-linking, sharing insights into the progress of this promising treatment and which patients we can expect to benefit the most. Listen in, it's gonna be a great episode. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and today I have with me Dr. Bill Trattler. So, Bill, I just want to say thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time here at the ACOS meeting and uh, spending some time talking about uh, some current topics in ophthalmology. So, um, just to start, Bill, give us a little bit of rundown of where you're from for those who don't know, and then we'll kind of talk about uh, some of the, the details of what we're going to get into today. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for having me here. This is always a great venue, a great conference, and um, I just love being part of it. So myself, I'm an ophthalmologist. I'm in practice in Miami, Florida. I'm part of a very large multi-specialty ophthalmology group. We have 15 ophthalmologists and a few optometrists. And we have a great team. And we've been in practice all together for about 20 years. And that's just incredible to hear about that. And I know that you're pra- you practice with your father and, and Dr. Busnego is with you also. Um, and just have a really vibrant group. But, um, you know, we actually met, it's sort of funny, we met through an online uh, ophthalmology chat room through the ASCRS a few years ago, just talking about some interesting cases and PRK and LASIK and interesting cataract cases. And really, uh, we got to meet at a meeting a few years ago. And really, from the time we met, we really hit it off. You introduced me to a lot of other people in industry. And for me, that's really been a nice window of opportunity to get more involved with consulting and doing things like this, you know, talking about current topics in ophthalmology. And I, I was just wondering, just because of, you know, your unique position and being in a lot of meetings and knowing a lot of uh, people both in industry and ophthalmology, I'm sure there's a lot of other young guys out there and maybe people even in mid-career who are looking for opportunities uh, to either consult or kind of get more connected with what's going on in ophthalmology with meetings and, and speaking I was just wondering if you could give a brief rundown of, of what you feel like are important uh, aspects of, of networking inside of ophthalmology. Right. Well, I think to really start, you have to think of what do you value as an ophthalmologist or in someone working in the eye care field? I mean, obviously, we have great training and we, we take care of our patients. We, people try to stay current. But if you don't go to conferences, and not just the big conferences like American Academy of Ophthalmology or the ASCRS meeting, you may miss and not really understand all the new things that are happening in our field and, and realize that there's so many opportunities to take better care of our patients. And I, I really feel that is why I go to so many meetings. Is at every meeting, I'm learning new things. I can take, take better care of my patients. And so if you start to develop the philosophy that it's okay to miss a few days of work you know, here or there, but in exchange, you're going to be a better doctor for your patients, I think that's where the value is. And so I've, I've been a huge fan of going to conferences. And then when I get a chance to, you know, to meet you and uh, many other you know, younger ophthalmologists, you know, I realize that if they get the bug, if they get excited to come to the conferences, that just opens the door for them to, to be better doctors and take better care of their patients. And from that, they realize, too, that industry, companies that are developing new 
uh, medications, new devices, new technologies also add to taking better care of our patients. And I think that's just so key. You know, sometimes in, in medical school and in residency, we're sort of taught to stay away from industry and that the reps are going to just give you a biased view of things. And, you know, when you peel back the, the onion a little bit and you get to meet some people and you're at a meeting perhaps and you're out to dinner or other venues, you get to realize that these people are, are there to give you, sure, some promotional material. But when they become your friends and you really gain their trust, they're going to give you the honest opinion about different products. And, you know, when you find a product that you really believe in and you feel passionately about and it dovetails nicely with the messaging that the company is, is wanting to promote, I find those to be really the organic opportunities where I'm able to speak very passionately about a product. And that's what companies want. Don't you find the same thing? Absolutely. No, you're absolutely correct. And it's really, um, you get a chance to work with different companies, different technologies. Um, and you realize that at the end of the day, if you can figure out how to make a product work well for your patients, then it, it, at the end of the day, it's very successful. But there are some technologies that just don't quite work for you. They may work for other physicians, but not for you in your practice. And it's kind of also getting a good sense of, of what you're working on in your practice to be successful and make, you know, again, at the end of the day, take the best care of your patients. Right. Well, I'd like to get into a little bit of um, um, what actually brought me to this meeting the first time, which is corneal cross-linking. And two years ago, you invited me to come out to Deer Valley to talk at the uh, corneal cross-linking uh, congress. And it was really invigorating for me to learn more about cross-linking from the experts. And I'm not sure about other ophthalmologists, but before I came to that meeting, it was, it was just really confusing about what does the landscape look like with cross-linking? You know, should we be doing epi on? Should we do, be doing epi off? Uh, where does the FDA um, kind of come down? And what does the progress for uh, cross-linking look like in the future? And what should we be expecting from in terms of results and which patients will benefit? You know, really there's a lot of confusion for me about cross-linking. And coming to the meeting, I really felt like I, I got something that I couldn't get from a, a, a journal, I couldn't get from any other venue, but I got to hear, you know, passionate dialogue between people who are, you know, in both camps of, of the different techniques involved with cross-linking. But, you know, while we're on the topic, you know, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of an update over the past couple of years. Where do you feel like cross-linking is now, both in terms of the regulatory side and also the procedure? How do you see the procedure fitting in and evolving um, to, to where we can really be helping more, more and more patients? Absolutely. So those are great, so many great questions and topics. So let's just focus on the first and most important thing, which is that even though the technology may not be FDA approved, for certain patients, it's critical that they get the treatment. And so for patients with keratoconus, or patients who have had LASIK surgery or PRK surgery and are developing weakening of the cornea ectasia, the sooner they can get cross-linking treatment, whether it's here in the U.S. and there's so many clinical trials and there's lots of availability, or outside the U.S., it just will stop their condition from getting worse and, will make, and typically will make things better. So as for it, I do see that a lot of physicians are say, tell their patients, you know, nothing's really available yet. Nothing's FDA approved. And that's true, there's, there's no FDA approved treatment for keratoconus uh, for, for cross-linking yet, but there's so much availability and the sooner people get involved and patients get treated, the better. Well, and you know, to be honest, this really is becoming standard of care. And I think this is the first time that a, a non-FDA approved technique, surgery, procedure, has become standard of care prior to becoming approved. And I even know of a case that it is um, you know, potentially going to litigation where a surgeon did not offer, or an optometrist did not offer cross-linking for a patient who 
went on to get a lot worse. And there's a question of violation of standard of care because cross-linking wasn't discussed and offered. And that's really an awkward position to be in as a physician where you feel like you almost are required to talk about a procedure um, and offer the treatment even though it's not FDA approved yet. And so, um, you know, I know from our conversations how much you believe in this technology. Who would you say is an ideal patient? Um, you know, if you're looking at a, you know, a group of people, there's obviously going to be some who respond quite nicely, some who don't respond at all, and maybe those in the middle. If you are someone who is just starting in cross-linking or you see a patient out there, who would be those really that low-hanging fruit that's going to get the most bang for their buck uh, from cross-linking? Absolutely. So first of all, I do want to point out that talking about things that are not FDA approved that are standard of care, the most common thing that we do every day is when patients undergo eye surgery, like cataract surgery, we, there's no FDA approved antibiotic to prevent infection, yet every, pretty much every cataract surgeon uses a non-FDA approved antibiotic. It's approved for other things, but it's still used, so it is standard of care to use an antibiotic. In regards to patients and who's the right patient, believe it or not, you want to catch patients early. So when I have a patient that comes in and they want to have cross-linking and they want to have just one eye for have treatment, and you have a patient that has some mild keratoconus in one eye and more advanced keratoconus in their second eye, the patient comes in thinking they want to treat their worse eye first. But in reality, you always want to treat the better eye to prevent it from getting worse because patients with keratoconus who are, are asymmetric where one eye sees well and one eye doesn't, their whole life depends on the, on the vision of their one good eye. And it's a progressive disease come back three months later, they could be worse. So you want to catch that eye as fast as possible. So the real answer is, as soon as it's diagnosed, the quicker you can treat the patient, the better. Okay, and I think that's, I think that's, that's key. And in your experience, what kind of results do you see? Um, obviously, one part of crosslink is just to make sure they don't get worse and really to halt the natural progression of this disease. And, and to me, that's what gets me so excited about crosslinking is it's the first treatment we have that really just changes the natural course of the disease. But when you do crosslink someone, on average, what kind of results are you getting um, in terms of maybe uh, change in the in the case or regularization um, of, the, of, of the cornea? Right. And that's a great question. So the Crosslinking treatment is very effective at stopping progression. It's about 99% successful, whether you're doing epi on or epi off. All the studies show that in general, if you do the right technique, and we can go through more details on the techniques, but it's about a 99% success rate with one treatment. Um, here at ACOS, um, at our meeting, we actually talk about retreatments as well. And patient is a simple procedure, and you know, three, six months, a year later, if you need to do a second treatment, it's just additive. Um, and so in general, patients can do well. And what it does is besides stopping progression, you typically will see improvement in both vision, uncorrected and best corrected visual acuity, as well as the shape of the cornea. So do you have patients, for example, who um, maybe were in hard co contact lenses who have been able to get out of hard contact lenses and maybe be managed with glasses or soft contact lenses? Is that a reasonable outcome to uh, hope for? It is. But, you know, every patient's different because it really depends on their where they're starting from. So if you have a patient that's a minus two, so a low refractive error, and they have keratoconus, if you stop their progression and improve their shape, they may be able to you know, walk around without glasses. But you have some patients that are minus 10 or 12. Sure. You know, so it, it, every patient is very unique. But it definitely, you know, we have patients, and you know, I just share the story of my own daughter. When she was 12, I diagnosed her with keratoconus. At the time, she was wearing contact lenses, and uh, her best corrective visual acuity was in the 2020 range. Um, and by doing the cross treatment, it not only stopped her disease from getting worse, but now she does not wear contacts anymore and she barely wears glasses. So it's saw, saw a nice improvement in her, for her life. Well, and I think that's the most powerful testimony about this technology is 
this is something that you've actually used on your own daughter and you have the benefit of watching her grow up and continue to have good vision. And, you know, those are the impact stories that we, you know, it makes us feel proud at the end of a career. Um, when you're able to impact your own daughter's life, I think that's just incredibly right. powerful. Absolutely. Just uh, to mention, you know, she was part of a clinical trial. So, that, you know, this, since it's not FDA approved, we do have a ongoing clinical trial that she enrolled in. Yeah, I just want to mention that. So you did mention there's clinical trials going on you know, around the country. If someone does uh, is diagnosed uh, with keratoconus or you have a, a patient in your practice diagnosed with uh, keratoconus, what's the best way to find a resource if you're not currently, if, if as a physician you're not participating in a trial, what would you tell other ophthalmologists to um, do to get their patient in the right hands? Absolutely. So the National Keratoconus Foundation does have a, a current list of all the ongoing clinical trials. Okay. So you can go through that direction or... Um, through the clinical trials uh, website uh, that's online. So there's multi, uh, all the web, all the uh, ongoing clinical trials are currently available to uh, to doctors. So and pretty much in every, there's a trial going on in almost every state in the U.S. All right, Bill. So there's been a lot of talk about epi on versus epi off crosslinking, and I've heard your opinion because we've had a chance to talk about this at length from you know many times. But for those who are listening, you know, give us your opinion on epi on versus epi off, and maybe the pros and cons of each as you see it. Okay. Well, I think the key thing to understand is that um, just um, like anything else, when we use the word epi on, what epi on means is that um, the procedure is very simple. We put riboflavin drops on the eye uh, without removing the epithelium. Uh, we let the riboflavin soak in. We confirm at the slit lamp that there's plenty of riboflavin, and then the UV light source is used. There are many techniques to do epion, and so we can look at results from 10 different doctors and 10 different sites, and the results can be very different depending on the technique. So it's so some doctors may be successful, some may not, and if you adjust their technique, they can become successful. So um, that's the first thing to understand. Uh, Epi-off is a very simple technique as well, where you just slide the epithelial cells off, apply the riboflavin drops, and then when there's plenty of riboflavin in the cornea, again, you, you add the UV light. And both the first thing to understand is that both techniques can be very effective. As long as you follow the protocols and do, you know, do the appropriate treatment, you know, patients, both techniques are very effective. The advantage of Epion is by not taking off the epithelium, there's faster visual recovery and less risk of developing an infection, corneal haze, or delays in epithelial healing. But both techniques are very effective. And in the U.S., we expect that the FDA approval will be for, for epi-off cross-linking, so that will be the first available treatment. Well, and, you know, when I'm doing any new procedure, my main thing is, you know, do no, first do no harm. You know, and so if I'm looking at two techniques, my general bias would always be to go to the one that is going to be, you know, potentially less harmful. Um, and so epi-on, you know, seems to have a lot of benefits um, as I look at both techniques. But as you mentioned, you know, cross-linking is such a important new technique uh, for altering the natural history of keratoconus that getting patients cross-linked on either technique I think is is really of utmost importance but I, I do agree with you it just seems like the epion as long as you can load the cornea and you can confirm that the slow lamp and you're following the right protocols that have really you know worked um, in, in you know time and time again I think there's really a lot of advantages uh, with with epion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. To hear more, download other episodes on itube.net. Until next time. This episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid is brought to you by Bausch & Lomb, offering a range of eye health solutions, including contact lenses and lens care products, pharmaceuticals, 
intraocular lenses, and surgical devices and instruments dedicated to helping patients see better to live better. For more information, visit Bausch.com.